Parenting is a full-time job, and providing effective support for today's teens can be challenging. The Parent Engage 360 podcast aims to provide connections and information from experts in the fields of chemical health, mental health, internet safety, and more. It's a comprehensive view on parenting, provided in a personal, convenient format. Tune in to today's episode of the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. I'm Liz Burgard, and this is the Parent Engage 360 podcast. Thank you for joining us. Honestly, before having children and working in our schools, I didn't think much about school funding, bonds, levies, referendums, and so many other things. Today, we will learn about a referendum. On the November 2nd ballot, there will be three questions that will give voters the opportunity to weigh in on renewing levies for learning and investing in student support for all students. Our very own superintendent, David Law, and I will have a conversation about this, and I look forward to learning more about this topic and some new information today. We hope that you do too and appreciate you joining us. Superintendent Law, thank you for being here. For those that may not know you, can you talk about your path to become the superintendent of Anoka Hennepin Schools? Thank you, Liz. Yes, I'd be happy to, and thanks for all those in the audience. It's great to have people wanting to get more informed about school districts. This is my eighth year as the Anoka Hennepin Superintendent. My career in public education goes back to the Anoka Hennepin School District, where I started in community education as a swim teacher and lifeguard at Roosevelt Pool and the old Charles Horn Pool. That was in the mid-80s, and then since that time, I've been a middle school and high school math teacher, an assistant principal, middle school principal, and an assistant superintendent prior to this job. And I've worked in Southern California, actually, in the Moundsview School District, the Wiper Lake School District, and Anoka Hennepin. So I've worked in a couple different states and different school districts on my way to having this job, which is my dream job. Saying it is your dream job, what is the best part of the work that you do? Honestly, nothing makes me happier than to see our students thriving and loving the work that they're doing or when I visit with students who are excited about what they're going to do beyond high school, that I know that we've done a nice job preparing them to be successful. I think it always comes back to the students and supporting our students to be successful as they leave our district and spread their wings to go on to work or to their next step. So we're going to jump into the first question of our podcast. And I remember when I first started in the district, and I remember hearing the word referendum and not really knowing what it was or what it meant or why we went out for a referendum. Can you give an overview of what a referendum is and how it passes? Absolutely, Liz. The state of Minnesota has used a variety of funding mechanisms for public education. Public education is a constitutional right in Minnesota. And how education is funded has varied over time. There have been periods of time in our state where people paid their taxes to the state and the state turned around and reimbursed those taxes back to the community. So property tax went to the state and then back to the community. And then for other periods of time, the state would fund a similar amount for every student in the state. And then the mindset was local communities have the opportunity to support their local schools beyond what the state provides. And in the ebb and flow of school funding, there have been periods of time where local voter approved school funding is higher and lower. And we are at a period of time for about the last 20 years where it's been fairly steadily increasing as state funding has been much more stable. So the way that this process works is that a school board would authorize a local taxing authority to ask voters, are you interested in supporting your schools? And 
there are generally three types of voter approved school funding streams. One of them is the general day-to-day -day operation of the school district, your teachers, your counselors, and the people working with kids, the stuff in the classroom, operating levy, which is the most common type of voter approved levy. And our district has an operating levy. The next kind is a capital projects levy, and that's for things. You can't use capital projects funding for people per se, but you can use it most commonly for technology. Mm -hmm. We have a capital projects levy that supports technology. That's one of the, our questions this fall on the ballot is to renew that. And the third one is buildings. And we approved a building bond several years ago in our Fit for the Future work. And that building work can only go towards the facilities improvements. And so an expansion to a building, building a new school. So we have all three of these funding mechanisms that are all voter approved. Just about every Minnesota school district has a referendum that is voter approved. Anoka Hennepins, our community has generally been supportive of operating levies since 2000. And generally those are to maintain funding or to, you know, the most common things are to maintain programming or to maintain class size. Because as things become more expensive, it takes a little bit more voter support to match that. Thank you. That really helps me understand like why there's different sorts of funding and how it's labeled and what that means. And I think it's just really confusing as we talk about funding and where it comes from. So to have an overview of how things are funded is really helpful. As we mentioned earlier, Noka Hennepin is going out for a referendum on November 2nd. Can you talk about how our school district came to the decision to hold a referendum in the fall? Yes. So there's a handful of decision points. Some of them are previous investments that the district has had voter approved are coming due again. And so, for example, this fall, we have two questions that the voters in our community approved almost a decade ago that need to either stop or be renewed. One of them is an operating levy that was approved about 10 years ago. And that levy was a renewal of a previous levy. And when you look back at what those questions were, they're generally to stabilize funding, maintain programs, maintain class size. Our community has been very supportive of those things. The next one is the technology levy that our community approved about 10 years ago, and both of those levies are coming due. So one of the reasons that we're having this discussion right now is those are up to be renewed or stopped. Your question was, what's the process of determining if we ask these again? Our school board goes back out to the community and does a sampling survey to say, are these things important? And should we bring these back to the voters? It isn't, should we tax our community? It's, should we ask our voters to commit to this again? And both of those things, the $34.5 million operating levy and the $4.45 million technology levy is what we're calling it. It's a capital projects levy. Our community said, yes, those are still as important as they've ever been. Please bring those back out to a vote. The other way that we generate a decision to go out for an operating levy is asking our community, how do we get better? And our community has consistently said, please provide additional social emotional support for our staff. Since I've been here in almost a decade, make sure that kids have adequate support for social, emotional, and college and career planning, our counseling and social work support, invest in those areas. And another one is, please support kids that aren't achieving at their ability or at their grade level. And so we asked our community, are you still committed to that to the point where you'd want to see it on the ballot as a vote? And how much would you be willing to invest? 
And it was with that feedback, both in January and in May, that the board made the decision to put that third question on for an increase in the operating lobby. And really our board's lens is to the community, you've said this is something you're interested in. You've said this is a tolerance you have to make this investment. Are you interested in putting this on the ballot? Then it's the community's decision. So to reiterate what you said, when people go to vote in November, there's going to be three questions on the ballot. The first two are renewals. One is about the operating levy, and the second is about technology. And then the third question is about social emotional support and student achievement. That's correct. And the third question is a operating levy also. Okay. And that can only pass if the first question passes. So the first two are an extension of an existing levy. People should not see a tax increase generally. It's just an extension for another 10 years for those two asks. The third one is a tax increase. That's a $10 a month on about a $250,000 house. Then there's a tax calculator online. But the third one is a tax increase that can only pass if the first larger operating levy passes. That makes sense. So the first one has to pass in order for the third one to also potentially pass. Right. What would likely happen should voters vote no on these questions? You know, we get that question a lot and there's a balance of don't threaten us if we don't get this, but please tell us what will happen. Right, exactly. So <laughs> the 34.5 million is 10% of our budget. You can essentially say for all of the positions in the district, 10% less, whether it be 10% less transportation, 10% less custodial support, 10% less administration, 10% less classroom teachers, 10% less academic program. And so across the system, that's what that would be. Some areas we can't cut because we have existing contracts like transportation, we're in a five-year contract. We're not mm -hmm. in a position to cut that. So that would put a little bit higher percentage in other areas. Mm -hmm. And keeping in mind that the vast majority of our budget is classroom teachers. That's where people will notice it the most is that we can't get to 34.5 million without making significant cuts in programs and teachers. I do agree with you. It's hard to not ask that question, but it is good to know what the impact would be should they not pass and what that means for us as the community members as well. Right. Kind of going back to one of the responses you had, how do we get the community input that directs the questions that we ask and how is this information used to determine district services? So we do a handful of information gathering processes every year. One of them is our community survey that we do every year and we ask questions about how are we doing managing things financially? What kind of value are we? Are we a good or excellent district? And if we're not, what would you like to see improved? And what are your biggest concerns? Is it we're too expensive? There's too much bullying? We're not offering enough programs. That's one piece. And we have 20 years of data on that. The next one is parent satisfaction surveys. We ask our parents how satisfied. We don't ask every parent every year. We rotate through chunks of our community so that you get it about every fourth year, but it's a sampling. We ask our students about student engagement and student satisfaction. Are you ready for success beyond high school? And all of that over time gives us a picture of where we need to improve, along with looking at our outcomes. What's our graduation rates? What's our student performance on standardized assessments and on the ACT test? Where are our students going beyond high school for career and college readiness? Our district keeps a scorecard of those things. We do a, a pretty robust job of measuring ourselves against other districts like us to say, you know, how are other students performing in districts like Anokanapane and what can we learn from them? And all of that feeds our internal uh, continuous improvement process, and it helps us determine 
where should we ask our community for support if we need to? I do think the point you make about just getting so many different stakeholders approval on all of the things that we do as a district is really important to really understand how the work is started and guided through each of the other processes that you mentioned with our scorecard and really getting the picture of what the community needs are and the student needs are while we're just determining our goals and their needs and our processes for each year. So I think that's really important for us to understand and know about. We're going to take a right here and we're going to talk a little bit about school funding. And to many, including myself, school funding can be very complex. Um, so we're going to do a deeper dive into that. Earlier, we discussed the two renewal questions, and the third question aims to provide support for students, both mental health and academic. It also aligns with the strategy for one-time federal pandemic relief funding that we hear oftentimes in the news that we're getting additional money from pandemic relief. Can you explain this and what it means for our today and for the future? Absolutely. One of the things I want just to say generally about education funding is a lot of wonderful ideas get implemented and create inequity within our system. I'll give an example of a district might have a lot of square miles to cover and they ask the state, can we have some extra funding because we have to spend more in transportation? And the state says, okay, we'll create a formula that says if you're so big, you get additional funds for transportation. And then all of a sudden it rolls out in some small district gets a lot less per student. And they say, well, how, how is this fair that I'm St. Anthony or Brooklyn Center, the smallest school district in the state, I have needs. And that other district, just because they have a lot of miles, I need additional funding because our buildings are old. And the state says, well, that's a good point. We'll look at your average age of buildings and we'll give more money for the older buildings. All of those logical things create this complex system that in the end districts say, well, now because of these 18 extra things, I'm getting $6,000 less than that district per pupil. That doesn't seem fair. Right. And then the public says, well, how did we get such a discrepant system? It was all built sincerely with good intention to equalize out things. But in the end, it creates this crazy complex system that no one understands. <laughs> So now I'll add one more piece and that's federal funds. Our data showed that kids who weren't in school as much learn less. And that's no surprise to anybody. Correct. When you're not getting the daily check-ins with teachers and kids would say, yeah, I'm in a Zoom meeting and I can ask a question, but it's really embarrassing to ask in front of everyone who's looking at me or type in the chat room. When I'm in a classroom, I could just raise my hand or the teacher could walk by and I could grab them and could get help. I can't get that same kind of interaction in a Zoom meeting. Mm -hmm. And so, there's that disconnect of I'm asking less questions over time, I'm getting less support. And that's one of 50 examples of why kids didn't do as well not being in school full time. The federal government acknowledged that there was going to be a problem and gave school districts funding. And that funding went out based on the amount of poverty in a school district. So a district with high poverty got more funding than a district with low, low poverty, not on the number of kids. So some people would say, well, in Okehennepin, you have a lot more kids than another district. You probably got the most federal money of anybody. To the contrary, we got a fraction of the federal money that some other districts got because of the level of poverty we have, which I appreciate that funding stream has some merit to it. The funding we have is to address the immediate needs of students returning from the pandemic for this academic year and next academic year. And a little bit beyond that, we have to spend it by 2023 we are using it 
for summer programming, for extended programming, for intervention, for additional counseling and social support, to lower class size, to maintain programs so that while people are getting some extra support in math and reading and they can't take their electives, we don't dismantle our tech ed coursework. Trying to maintain our program for kids while we've got some instability in student enrollment and need. We're using those federal funds, but that one-time federal money is about the equivalent of one year of our operating levy. Wow. Like we're, we're spending about $15 million a year from the federal funds over the next two years to help our students feel like they're back on track. If you add both of those together, that's less than one year of the operating levy. So we can't fund the next 10 years with one-time money that's intended to help kids catch up from a pandemic or feel confident back in school. So we are delaying. We're using some of that federal money on technology to try to limit the tax impact on our local community. We're using that money to support lower class size and intervention that our community has said that they've always wanted. And we lower our counseling and social worker ratios to the extent possible. But it ends. And we're asking our community, if, if you thought this was important, do you want this to continue beyond where the federal money ends? Thanks. That makes sense to really understand that that federal money isn't something that we get forever that it does end in 2023 and that we are really using it to help our students catch up between the next two years where the referendum money continues over many years and is separate funding from the federal money that we're receiving. That really helps me to understand what the difference is. As you said, it's very complex and there's many complex systems that go back many, many years, even probably before you or I were even in education right, <laughs> or born. Right. <laughs> Going back to the third question that will be on the ballot, can you give some examples or types of mental health and academic supports that students may see in their schools? Absolutely. So, you know, when I started here, there might have been 600 students per counselor in a secondary school or 750. We're really trying to get that number down to 500 or significantly under 500. So next year we have schools that are closer to 430. Now that's still a lot, but coming down from 600 to 430 means that counselor has 170 fewer students to connect with and support. That's an example. For social workers, our model is about one elementary social worker for 750 students. We're trying to get that down closer to maybe 625 or 600. Every little bit gives that person a little bit more time to support students in crisis. In terms of academic supports, we really tried to bring down our K-1 and 2 class size for the kids that started school with the bumpiest start, tried to bring those down to the lower end of our board-approved ranges. We've had a lot of kids coming back to school this year, so we're, we're struggling to keep up with the late summer enrollment, but we're trying to do low class size for younger students and then additionally, additional math and reading support because the basics are what our community really has put a priority on. So we're trying to provide both people to push into classrooms and support kids that need help and people to pull students out of class and give them intense support. Those are the things that are directly reliant to what our community said they wanted and what the pandemic created a need for. Mm -hmm. You shared a lot of information about what is a referendum, the questions that are going to be on the ballot in November, why we're going to have them on the ballot, and talked about different funding sources. How can voters determine the cost of this referendum for their property? So online, we have a page dedicated on the Milk Hennepin District webpage to operating levy related questions, frequently asked questions. There's an online property tax calculator. There's a chart that people can look at. If people go to ahschools.us forward slash vote 2021, our goal is to have people be informed. Mm -hmm. People get very critical that we're really pushing this. We think it's a logical question to ask the community. It's ultimately the community choice. 
So we want people to be informed and have accurate information. And we typically get to a spot, we share weekly information in our community and in our schools. And there always gets to be a spot about the first week of October where we have half the people I hear from are saying, stop talking about the operating levy. And the other half say, why are you keeping this a secret? From right. us? And then I know we've hit the right threshold. So we really work to make sure people know how to be informed and get accurate information so they can make a decision for themselves and then vote. If you're invested in schools, vote. Whether you think it's a good investment or a bad investment, and then you vote accordingly, vote. Going back to just voting, I guess before I worked in the district or had kids, I didn't realize that you would necessarily need to vote for something like this. So I think that's a great point of just telling people that there are often opportunities to vote in your off your elections. And so you can go online to see what will be on your ballot. And then also on our um, district webpage, there will be some additional information at ahschools.us backslash vote 2021 for everyone to be as informed as they, they can possibly be. Superintendent Law, thank you so much for being here today and sharing all of this information with us. I'm taking away a lot of information of what you shared. Is there any last things that you would like to add into this conversation? No, I, uh, Liz, I'm thrilled that you're doing these podcasts to give people information about our school system, whether it be on this topic, the operating levy or mental health supports or chemical health supports. I think any way we can get messaging out to our parents where they can easily access at a time that's convenient for them. It's great. I hope our community member enjoys this. If people have ideas about future podcasts, please email them to our communications department. And then uh, just a big shout out to Angela Egerich, who's been a part of doing these podcasts. I know she's moving on to other opportunities, but she's been a good part of our team. So thank you and have a great day. Thank you, David. Thank you for listening. This resource is produced as a partnership between the Anoka Hennepin Parent Engagement Program and Student Services Department. Be sure to check out additional episodes in the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. For more information or to share feedback, visit ahschools.us slash parentengage360. Thank you.